Welcome to Startup Camel. Today in the studio, we have Yonatan Sneer sharing about his startup, ClickLap, and the future of marketing tech. This episode is sponsored by Rise Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv's number one space for fintech. Rise Tel Aviv offers office space, mentorship, and fintech events on a nightly basis. Have a fintech company or want to get involved? Contact them today at www.thinkrise.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Startup Camel. I'm your host, Adir Freilich, recording out of Mindspace in the center of Tel Aviv, Israel, where penalty kick shootouts for the end of soccer matches were created. With us today, we have Yonatan Sneer, founder of ClickLap. We're going to get right into it with Yonatan. Yonatan, first of all, thanks for being here with us. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. I want to just share just a quick fun story. The guy who created the podcast named Don Hershko, I was telling him about him before the interview. He was in Wix the other day. He bumped into the founder, who he knows, as well as the COO. And in the elevator, they're asking about what he's doing. And he started telling them about what he was doing. And basically, the founder was like, oh, you're doing an elevator pitch. So... <laughs> I want to hear about ClickLap. Yonatan, what is your elevator pitch? So ClickLap is a marketing technology for B2B marketeers. We're building an autonomous, what we call hands-off solution that helps marketeers generate more leads, more qualified leads from their inbound traffic, no matter if you have traffic to your website or you send traffic to external websites. And the bottom line is that we are seeking to multiply the number of qualified leads you pass to sales from your website. Hmm. Great. How exactly are you getting the leads, qualifying them? Like, Give us some details about what ClickLab does exactly. Sure. So basically, those of you in marketing probably know the basics that traffic coming to your website are showing interest in content, usually in the content strategy that you're building up before they're ready to purchase. And you have a lot of content usually when you're in B2B, blogs, eBooks, white papers and stuff. But it's hidden. It's staying somewhere in the website, and you expect your visitors to find it out. So to pull into, like, deep navigation, basically. Deep navigation. They don't exactly know what they're looking for. So we're building an AI solution that actually learns, based on your visitor, what's the best next thing for that person to propose it, and also to qualify those people by asking them questions in between the journey that we're building to see if they're relevant for purchase and when. And the concept is that today there are available tools out there. There are so many marketing tools that we're competing with, obviously, because it's a red ocean. But most of the tools require a lot of manual work, a lot of manual analysis, and we're going to do the work for them. It's like intuitive, basically. Yeah, you just pull in what we call the fuel, the content into the system, and you plug us into your website, into your social media channels, and that's it. It's, it starts working. Does it on its own? Yeah. How often does the person need to interact with ClickLab for new relevant information to happen? So basically, we're scanning your site. Whenever we see new content, we recommend that you add it to the machine if we see it relevant, and then it's in there. So it's, it's a one-time setup that doesn't take too long, and then it's really based on your content production. Do you have paying customers right now? So we started with something we'll talk about a bit later, but we started with one thing that we had 2,000 active users on the platform, but we saw that this is not the kind of people that we think would pay and that we think that we can bring the most value to. So we're now in a small shift towards the market that we figured out that tool is more valuable for, and we're expected to start generating revenues by the end of the year. We already have 30 customers on our queue for the early access. Is there like a free version for the average user who just wants to drive traffic back into their website? So in B2B, 
for the mid-sized market, we don't think a free version will be the thing about it because companies do have the, the amounts to pay when they think there is value. So it's more going to be like a free trial. So one month the system will run. It's also AI-based, so it takes the machine time to learn and show the value for each customer. And when they see the value, obviously, they won't want to disconnect. For sure. So 30 days, you guys basically give yourself the opportunity to show them and create the value and create money and drive traffic for free. And then it's a no-brainer at that point. Exactly. You know, eventually the sales cycle is really dependent on each customer, how long it takes them from the moment they get a lead till they have one opportunity. But for the machine to start showing that it's driving more engagement and converting more leads and showing that it's valuable, a month should be enough for most of our customers. Fair enough. In marketing, the biggest thing is ROI, return on your investment. So if they have a zero investment and they get a nice return, then they see that if they pay more, will they get a higher rate of return or it's just the system is set and it's just going to constantly flow traffic back into the site. So basically, we're not generating new traffic. We're just saying, listen, you have 30,000 visitors a month, right? But you're only able to convert a friction because 4% convert to leads, then small percent convert to opportunity and small percent converts to one opportunity. So we're saying, take the exact thing that you're doing today, just put us in and we'll do more from the same work that you're doing. So you have nothing to lose except for, you know, us showing you that there is an ROI for our system. Gotcha. All right, let's take a pause on ClickClap for a moment. Let's go back into the past. Yonatan, growing up, were you more of a lemonade stand kid or a late bloomer? So I was born and grown up in a kibbutz. And the time that the kibbutz was, everything was free. So go try and put a lemonade stand when you can just get it for yourself <laughs> in, in the chaderoch and in the dining room. But to, you know, putting jokes aside, I'm a late bloomer. I started the first startup when I was 40. After 16 years of career in enterprises and startups and different things, there is pros and cons for everything, but I'm pretty happy with the move I made. And I think that what triggered me to make the move was, besides being mature enough for this, is finding the right partner to execute because I'm not on the tech side and you need to find someone that can drive your ideas into something that actually works. So Very cool. I mean, you're saying when you were 40, you started. What was the first business idea that you did at 40 years old? Well, I actually started thinking about ideas much before that. So I always wanted to do something. It was just about the right opportunity. I also have four girls at home. So, you know, it's about the timing. When is the right time, you know, to make the leap? And my wife is also self-employed. So it's not that easy to make that jump. But I remember that the first idea was, I I think it was before even the iPhones were out. And uh, I was on one of my business trips to New York. And I was thinking, you know, so many restaurants here and people go back to the same restaurants, even when they travel. And those restaurants know nothing about us and how to connect, you know, between the diner. And then I started checking out the solution. I found a small company called Back Then Open Table. They were just like in two cities in the U.S. And I said, oh, there's already a solution out there. I'm not going to try and compete with them, which obviously was <laughs> ridiculous now that I know. And today they are more than $2 billion company. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're pretty big. Yeah. Cool. So you had the idea. It was already existing in a couple of cities, but you probably could have attacked different markets, different cities. Definitely. But uh, you didn't make the jump. By the way, same happened with ClickLab. Four months after we started ClickLab, we found the exact Another same idea. Same. And then I met the right guy that told us, listen, that's a good sign. Yeah, you know, there's sure. a market. It's not just... 99.9% of ideas have already been worked on. I mean, I've come up with some of the most ridiculous ideas. I don't know, like something like my friend was sipping some tea 
and he burned himself a little bit and, and we're like why don't we come up with something like a monitor of how what the temperature and we go online just type in like mug monitor like thermometer it's just insane there's like 10 of them you know it's like we're not thinking of original ideas anymore so when there's some other company that exists that does the same thing as you it is a good sign there's a huge world here that we live in and it's an international world an international market where you're able to access people all over the world because of the way we're connected now so it's irrelevant if there's another one it's a good sign and you could see how successful they are and make it better so cool so how and when did you come up with the idea for ClickLab? ClickLab, you know, in marketing, there are many challenges. And my uh, last role before I left my day job, I call it, was I was leading all the marketing operations for a company called Nice Systems globally. So I was like implementing all the technologies responsible for all the budgets and everything. And I was pretty much understanding what, you know, those tools are capable of doing and where we're missing out. So I had a few ideas. We started rolling out and started tweaking towards, you know, what's the best way to tackle those technology-wise, and that's how we came up with ClickLab. Fair enough. How long ago did you start it? I left my job at late 2015 and started my own small agency to help B2B marketeers and B2B companies utilize technology to grow their business. And in parallel, I started thinking and playing around with the idea of a startup. But officially, it was in 2016 when we got the first funding and started. Nice. So, yeah. What's the origin of the name, ClickClap? Well, first of all, we always look for a free domain, right? So <laughs> to be frank, you know, that was one of the biggest challenges. And we were back then wanted a .com, not an I.O. or anything like that was not already available. But the concept was that we were focused on social media. And we knew that for every click that you get, you will get much more value from our solution. So you get more claps, what we call them, what are likes today, and claps in medium. So that was a combination of a click and a Click clap. clap. Why did you seek funding and where did you allocate money? So we started bootstrapping, actually. You know, we were 16 years working in enterprises. We had some savings that we were able to use, both me and my partner, and we tried to do it ourselves. But eventually you find out that, you know, you, you need to build a big product with a lot of technology and you can't go fast enough versus how the market moves. So you must get funded, you know, to hire more employees and not just do the out-of-pocket and your own time thing. And we found the first funding through an angel investor who my partner actually knew. He told him that he's starting a new startup and he told him about the solution. He loved it. He knows that my partner is a very talented guy and he put some money in. Very cool. In the world of startups, there's a lot of ups and downs, but a lot of times you really got to get to the downs before the ups. So give us a little story of your darkest hour. You know, I'm a first-time entrepreneur, so I'm experiencing everything for the first time. And there's, you know, there's more dark moments than the light moments. But it's a matter of how you take them. And I think that when you're in the deepest shit, if I excuse my <laughs> word, you know, it's the best time to stop and really think, not in terms of where the business is going, but are you in the right direction? And there were a few times that we're about to close down. And that's when we came up wow. with new ideas of how and where to maneuver to keep alive. And I think that that's the story of, startups you know you start something and you never know where you end as long as you keep thinking and you got to roll with the punches way. basically exactly. so what is the actual darkest hour though you have a story for us yeah like we finished the accelerator which should have been a great moment but we understood in the accelerator that we are missing out something hmm. and that was with the time we had no funding yet and we had to think you know where are we heading we finished the pitch day and everything and we got some interest from a few uh, vcs but we as a team didn't feel that we hit you know the right direction and that's where you know we stopped a bit it was like two weeks that we didn't do any development and that's how we came with what we have now which is a 
a small pivot, I would say, from what we started in. So that's actually my next question about the pivot. So tell us about the pivot. What did you discover? Why did you pivot? And you know, give us the ups and downs of having to do the pivot. Sure. So when we started, social media, organic social media traffic was blooming. Facebook did not do any drastic changes back then, and you were seeing 30% increase in traffic coming to your website from social media. So that was our focus. But then Zuckerberg probably understood that he wants to make more money, and he stopped you know, giving organic traffic that much of free access, right? Because it changed the percent of your post being shown on the wall from like 60% to 6%. So companies were suffering and they started putting money in and that's not our game. So we had to think how we're moving away from social media being our main direction and curated content being our main direction. That's how we pivoted into all your inbound channels. Very cool. Yeah, Facebook, they got so big so fast and they're just in control now. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I just read today that they want to put away from your regular feed all the posts coming from pages. So you will see in your feed just the posts from your friends. Like, you know, Google did those tabs that the marketing content is in a different tab. That's going to be a killer. For emails, you mean. Yeah. But that's smart because then you have control of what you're seeing a little bit more again, you know, or you have the illusion of that. So-called. But what they want to do is make more money because you will see in the feed the sponsored ones, For sure. right? For sure. Not, not For sure. the free ones. But it's a supply-demand thing. Everybody's on Facebook and every company's on Facebook. And so there's only so much space and there's only so much attention that you're giving to Facebook. So that time and that moment is worth so much more money. And we as users, you know, we don't want to see bullshit like kind of advertising. Yeah, sure, we want value sure. on the feed. Well, there's like all this interactive stuff with the ads too where you can say if you like it, don't like it, just don't show me this again and all that stuff. So you give them even more information obviously. But that's what they're doing. They're just sucking all our information, deciding what they want to sell to us. How did you come up with the assumptions in your financial model? How do you come up with these numbers? Basically, I'm very much familiar with our market because I used to be an owner of a budget in that market and a big budget for a big company. So I knew exactly how things work, which solutions are out there and how they price them and everything and how budgets work, which is very important. If you don't understand how your customer's budget works, you don't have the way to know what's the right business model. Now, in marketing, there are various types of business models, but the most common ones are ad tech, like PPC and all those kind of buying media stuff. And you have the MarTech, which is today moving towards subscription-based. And we definitely knew that we're building a MarTech solution, so we are building a business model that fits in there. And we know that our customers work by either annual budget or a quarterly budget, so they need to know upfront what they're going to pay for and how much. It's a nice advantage that you worked in the industry for 16 years, you said, right? When do you decide to start paying yourself? I mean, in general, do you get pushback from investors that you're actually paying yourself in any way? or? No, I think, uh, you know, smart investors know that founders need to be confident about their financial state. So they do understand that you're going to take some money back home to keep your things running. And it's also a matter of your stage in the company. You know, in seed, you take less. The more you grow, the more value you bring. So You touched on the fact that the first investor was an angel investor, a friend of your co-founder, basically. But how did you actually convince him to give you the money? So it was a pretty easy task because he had his own startup in B2B, and he had that pain that we were talking about, and he immediately connected us to his CMO, and his CMO said, yeah, I really want to try it, and he understood the concept, and he saw that we know what we're doing, um, so he jumped in. Cool. During the fundraising process, what is the most difficult question that you were asked? I think in our industry, and I was asked this a few times by different VCs and angels, was to prove to them that we're not in the ad tech 
kind of industry and well in the martech industry because ad tech first of all in terms of evaluations and multipliers they're much less than martech and they're much more riskier because it's all about paid media stuff so it was very hard to convince them before you have revenues that you are actually a subscription-based marketing technology and not a ppc kind of thing that's why some of them didn't jump in because they said first of all show us revenues show us people are actually paying by this model before we're willing to jump to you know to your story how do you decide on your valuation before you get funded so the valuation in the first stage is mostly you know negotiation kind of thing you know you are in the martech so you know that seed usually is from let's say 800 to 2 million and how much are you as an entrepreneur willing to give away your company and who you meet as an investors and you put a number and they put the number and you know you start negotiating that's give us a great tip for presenting to investors I think one of the things I learned and I did that mistake in myself as well and to them trying not to repeat it is that as Israelis were very tech oriented and American people and investors are more business oriented and I was in a program called Mirage program and that's when I understood that very very well that you don't need to talk about your technology the assumption is that you have a technology you need to talk about the business and show why you are going to give back them on the investment and how fast are you going to do it technology is second priority and i think that's something that most israeli startups are not aware of till they get to the part where they need to pitch to us based because we're a very tech oriented society here everything is high tech high tech high tech so you're attached to that technology you don't realize that the more important thing for the investor is the business but that's great advice i think advice. That's, that's also how companies are built today in israel you start with the technology before you understand if there is a market right yeah yeah it's incredible some of the things coming out of israel obviously <laughs> give us one great marketing tip I think again I did this mistake so it's after the fact but as a marketing guy even but start marketing your product before you have a product is a must because you can put landing pages out there and talk about the concept and see how much traffic and engagement you're gaining before you even invest a single dollar in the code right and then you see if you have something and you're onto something and most people don't do it because they're afraid to say you know what the idea is but most likely if they don't say it you know up front fast enough they will do mistakes and you know invest in the wrong direction. Describe the difference between working for someone else's company versus now working for yourself. There are huge differences obviously, although in most of my careers I tried to be under people who always gave me the, you know, the space to do things that I believe in and I like, so it was like it was a good experience for me in almost all of my jobs, but the main thing is that for good and for bad you are the decision maker, right? So you can decide whatever you want but then you are also the one that's going to take and be accountable all by yourself for your decisions. So that's one big thing and the other thing is that when you wake up in the morning you decide what you want to do, right? And it's no one tells feeling of freedom. Yeah, you know, you don't need to report to anyone and tell them where you were or anything. It's not that you have anything to hide, but you can actually build the true agenda and not try to, you know, hide and seek like what's the important and someone telling you, "No, don't go meet that guy." Being that we're in the center of Tel Aviv, this is innovation capital of the world startup nation. What do you think it is that makes Israel so special in the startup world? I think this was part of our earlier conversation before we started the, you know, the the podcast that we know everyone, right? Everyone knows that guy and that guy and that guy and you can actually reach almost anyone and get advice without feeling, you know, that it's wrong or you feel ashamed that you are asking for help. And that's the power of the things here in Israel because in bigger countries that you know people are spread all over it's harder they are getting there i think you know today i have relationships with people that i never met and still we are helping each other around the world 
but it's not like you know your fellow mates that were you with uh, in the army or in school and they are willing to help you no matter what it is amazing how interconnected everybody is here and it's just like we only just began talking about how we know who and came back in a circle obviously but it can continue on and on let's talk a little bit more about click clap how many people working with you guys right now we're a team of six mostly r&d all in israel all in Israel. Okay. Are you looking to expand anywhere else? or At this stage, we're looking to grow our business you know, online with our own tools and concepts, so we don't need to open offices anywhere else. But definitely in the future, I do see this evolving because you do want to be closer to your customers, and obviously Israel is not our major market. And what's the next goal for ClickLab? Generating revenues and proving that we are actually able to multiply the conversions for our target audience. We just do it a few pilots. You know, it's not yet enough to put the punch and say we hit the mark yet. I do believe that we're getting there and we'll get there very fast. But that's the first milestone. And then, you know, growing the revenues so we can be in a position that, you know, we're ready to go and expand. And are you guys hiring? We just closed our first hire after the seed funding a few months ago, so currently not. Once we start growing and we need, you know, more outreach, definitely I will look for more people to help me in marketing because I'm doing it myself and obviously R&D as well. Awesome. All right, we are now moving on to the second part of the interview that we call the Camel Race. I think it's part of why the name Startup Camel exists. When people think about Israel, they think of camels, so it's a little familiar for them. But as you see from our logo, we have a camel with big buildings behind it. So I will ask you a series of questions, and you will give us some short but inspiring answers. So first question, what wakes you up in the morning? Eventually, you know why. Every day is a new day, a new opportunity to move forward with our startup, mostly if we talk about the business side, you know, besides growing up the kids and then what's the value I can bring them. And that's a huge motivation. I think that the days that I was working in roles that I didn't like, I didn't enjoy waking up in the morning and going to work. And since I left, you know, and started the click lap, it's no brainer. You just wake up and travel to work. Yeah. Do you have a morning routine? If so, what is it? Not something to talk about too much, you know, the kids waking up, all that kind of father stuff work. How many hours do you work on the average day? I would say between 12 to 14. You know, I do have my points where the days I'm responsible for taking the kids and being with them on the afternoon mostly. And then I go back, open my laptop and, you know, so it's pretty intense, but time flies by because you enjoy it, right? Yeah. Glimpse into your toolbox. Tell us one tool that you think everyone should know about, whether it's a piece of hardware or software. I use many tools, so it's really it was a hard pick. But I would say I'm not an organized person, and we spoke about the Pulse earlier. I think that the Pulse, like uh, one of the great Israeli startups here, helped me organize both my task work and my product roadmap and everything. So I'm trying to push the team to use it. So if you're not using it, I highly recommend trying it out. It is pretty cool, and it kind of creates transparency on what the projects that people are working on. So when I have my editor, for example, Moshe, working on this thing, he's able to say, working on it, done, and I can see the progress real time, and I don't have to bother him and, and ask him and stuff like that. You can also onboard freelancers outside so you can see yeah. what they're working on, how they're progressing to meet the deadline. Give us one small change that you made that had a big impact on your productivity. I think it connects to the idea of, you know, setting up the kind of tasks you need to do every day and every week and complete them and ensure that you actually complete them. Because I think that most people have those things that they don't like doing, you know, and they push them back and then the deadline is really soon. So tools like the pools, but also, you know, being in a position that you understand that you cannot push things back. That's a major difference I did and then actually helps closing, the, you know, tasks faster and better. 
How do you stay inspired and motivated through some of the tougher times of the startup industry? First of all, I read a lot. There is so much great content out there. So whenever, you know, I feel that I need to stop and, you know, in all the hectic things I'm working on, I try to find good content to read and get inspired from other people and stuff like that. And obviously I have two wives that I get inspired from. One is my real wife and my, one is my partner. So whenever I need, depends on what, you know, I approach them, right? Cool. Which brings us to the next question, which is who do you seek advice from? Mostly from my wife and from my partner when it's, you know, immediate. But again, the ecosystem is so big. And today we have so many mentors that we're in touch with in the past. And we have our advisory board. And people are just looking to help. You know, specifically now we have a mentor called Gal Nahum who is working very closely with us. And we have the people from the investors that are helping us. So they help you prevent mistakes, which is very important. It's not hard to find people willing to give advice to, but you want to pick the right mentors and the right advisors basically but i think that's also it's a great point because it's also a tricky part people give advice and it's great but eventually you need to understand what's the right thing for you to do and sometimes they're wrong and you are the only one that actually know best and there were times that i was saying okay he's so much experience you know and knows better than me let's go in that direction and it was wrong so listen and Decide what you take and what not to. Otherwise, you will be led by someone else, right? For sure. That's part of being the founder and the leader, basically, that you have to ultimately make the decision. If you could go back in time along the startup journey, what would you have done differently? This is my first startup, and I truly believe in in order for you to learn to walk, you need to fall all the time, right? Just like babies. So I don't think there would be something I would change, because otherwise I would have probably done a different mistake. The only thing I would have changed is start earlier. I think, you know, I was mature before I actually made the jump. So maybe, you know, by now ClickUp was in a different position and I could have saved time. But it's scary to switch, especially when you're kind of used to working at a company to make the that golden jump. Cage. Yeah, exactly. It's the greatest metaphor for it. You're trapped in a comfortable position. But to take that risk and to take that jump, it brings you to a whole new world, obviously, and different experiences. So. It's really cool, and there's so many startups in Israel. Obviously, it's just fascinating. What would be your advice to aspiring entrepreneurs? I think, first of all, don't try to think about a solution. Try to jump into the water and say, I want to do something, and start brainstorming and asking other people and see, you know, don't leave your expertise aside because the best place to start is where you have a unique expertise. I did that mistake, by the way, as well. I, I tried to start up with uh, something about dating as well, and I was happily married for a few years already and understood that that's not the main domain that I can actually give something into. But don't be afraid to try and start. Even if you are now working, you know, you can find the time to try out new things till you are ready to jump. That's the most important thing because if you wait, you know, so many of us, especially Israelis, have great ideas, but they never fulfill them, right? So don't be afraid to try. You got to just take the jump. Yeah. Being that we are in the center of it all, tell us one Israeli startup that you think that we should all be looking out for. Wow. There's so many great ones, you know, it's, 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 really, it's really hard to pick. Currently in the place that we're sitting, there are many great startups out there, but I think that all the part about being healthy and your dietary is an important thing for everyone because we're not healthy people today. We're actually very unhealthy. So there are a few startups in Israel that are dealing with this and trying to understand what's your right dietary. And I think these guys are the one that will hit the road and find an easy way for each of us to understand which type of food is good for them. It will be very important and will decrease diseases and many other problems. So it's a, a huge sure. market. Do you know a specific one that you want to share there with us? Second Day and there's other ones. I don't remember all the names. There are a few that I looked into, but I think that's a very interesting domain. That cool. 
Well, this was a great interview. You're a great guest, Jonathan. I appreciate you coming on and taking some time, but unfortunately, the interview does have to end. So tell us how to reach you, and we'll say goodbye. Best way to reach me today, you know, I'm into marketing. Simply look for Jonathan Sneer on LinkedIn. Connect with me. I connect with everyone that are not spammy. <laughs> uh, so I, I love being in touch, you know, and see what people do there. And if you want my email, it's Jonathan at clicklapclaplap.com. Simply shoot me an email. I'll be happy to see if I can help in anything. Awesome. Well, thanks again for your time, and I can't wait to hear in the future how the success continues to grow for you. So good luck with everything, and we're out. Thank you very much, Adir. Coming up in the next episode, number 39, Nitsan Kowanarazi will be joining to share about her startup, Jolt, which brings tech into a unique learning environment for adults. Thanks for listening. 